Welcome to a Sunny Side Up Life podcast, a show for the woman who is ready to live an abundant life full of freedom and positivity. I'm Sammy Womack, and I'm on a mission to help you break free from survival mode, gain financial freedom, stay motivated, and focus on what matters most. Join the movement, and let's start living on the brighter side of life together. Hey everyone and welcome back to another episode. This week I am joined by Michael Lacey who is the voice behind the award-nominated podcast Winning to Wealth. In this episode he is going to be sharing about the ups and downs of his family's journey as they paid off $61,000 worth of debt in only 16 months. Plus he is sharing his simple investment tips that he and his family have used to reach fire and why financial independence should be considered a form of social activism for people of color and allies. Plus, Michael will walk us through how he and his wife Taylor got on the same page about money, how their daughter changed his goals, and the effects that COVID has had on his career. We are digging into some really important topics this week, and I cannot wait for you guys to dig into this conversation. Before we jump into that, don't forget to jump over to my YouTube channel and subscribe while you are over there. If you love what you hear on the podcast, you are also going to love my YouTube channel where I am putting out a video every single Saturday as well as a short motivational Monday video every single Monday. So I can link to that in the show notes or just simply jump over to YouTube and search A Sunny Side Up Life and subscribe. All right, now let's welcome Michael to the podcast. All right, everyone, I am here with Michael. I am so excited for you guys to hear this interview. I was on his podcast recently, so I had to return the favor and invite him on mine. So welcome and tell us a little bit more about yourself. Hey, Sammy, I'm so excited to be here with you. Um, you were a great guest on my podcast, so I feel like I have a lot to live up to. Like I can't drop the ball on your <laughs> podcast, so the pressure's on. But uh, I'm Michael Lacey. I am the founder of Winning to Wealth, also the host of the Winning to Wealth podcast, uh, where we talk about just everything that people are doing to build wealth, whether it's saving money, whether it's paying off debt uh, or investing. And so I got started with that just uh, you know, from my family's debt-free journey. We paid off $61,000 in 16 months. Uh, that was from 2014 to 2016. And since that time, we have just been investing uh, and just slowly building wealth the boring way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it gets super boring. That's what I was posting recently about we're saving for our construction loan to build our house now. And I'm like, there's not really to update, guys. Just saving it's super boring over here so yeah there's not a lot of content to create when you're in that saving mode or when you're investing is just on autopilot it's just like every month just being consistent (laughs) I know that's like today was payday for us and it was just like okay transfer everything extra to savings and that was it (laughs) it's like very anticlimactic after a certain point but I would love to hear a little bit more about the specifics of y'all's journey I know that you mentioned that your wife was not on board um, which my audience is mostly women and a lot of I hear from a lot of my women that their husbands aren't on board. So it's kind of the flip the script. So it's kind of interesting to hear from a husband who was on board. It's kind of different for my audience. So tell us a little bit more about that and 
what helped her get on board and any advice to others? So I guess you kind of have to set the scene a little bit with how we even got started on our debt-free journey. We were actually on our honeymoon. We had never really talked about money before, but there was just this weight because the trip was just so dang expensive. Like we were on this lakefront property in the Florida Keys and everything's like 10 times more expensive than it is in Houston. And I'm just trying to like do it big. But then after like a day or so, I'm like, man, we still got bills at home. We got car payments. We got, and like now we're merging. So it's not just my car payment. It's our car payments with an S Yes. and it's our credit cards with an S. And so it's just like all these things that started hitting me like, okay, when we get home, we're merging our finances, but there's not a lot to merge except for our debt. And we, like I said, we had never talked about it before. And so I started doing little things like opting for the cheaper meals at restaurants. And like, we went on a snorkeling trip and it got rained out. And so when we got back to the shore, uh, the guy was like, Hey, I can either give you a refund or, you know, you can, uh, you can come back another day. And I took the refund and that's really what blew everything up and where we had our first real in-depth money conversation and we discovered that we had the debt and so she was on board once we had that conversation she wanted to be out of debt she realized that it was a problem but when we got home like i had already done the budget i had a plan and i was like ready to go and she was just like if this is what it's going to take count me out not doing it yeah that's a big it's a big step for a lot of people and what was it that was like holding her back was it the She's never going to have any fun any anymore or like what was it for her? I mean, if I'm being honest, my budget was really dumb. Like it was it made no sense. It was my first one. Yeah. And you know, like you said, I mean, we weren't we weren't ever going to go out to eat and like she was yeah. never getting her nails done again. I was just going to skip haircuts and grow my hair really long and just <laughs> All this just really silly stuff that I was trying to do. And it, I mean, it didn't, it didn't make any sense, but I want, like, I wanted it that bad though. Yeah. You know what I mean, for me, it was just like, I felt the full weight of it. And I don't think she had really felt the full weight of it yet. She just knew like, well, if we get it gone, then I can travel more and I can do more things, but she didn't really feel yeah. the debt. Like I did. It sounds like you guys just kind of had to hash it out and find that balance of like, you needed to remember, like, we're going to have a little bit of fun, but she needed to kind of see the vision and find that middle ground. Yeah. So, you know, what I think happened was I really stopped trying to get her on board with my plan. Mm -hmm. And I started talking with her about our plan and what needed to change. You know, even as a financial coach, people come to me and they're like, how do I get my husband on board? How do I get my spouse on board? And it's like, that's just the wrong verbiage, right? Yeah. It's, it's not even good verbiage because you're coming at it saying, this is my plan and this is how we're doing it. And that's, that settles it. And it leaves no room for discussion. So what I had to realize is that I would rather meet her 60% of the way than try to drag her kicking and screaming 100% of the way. Mm -hmm. And we can go further on the same page at 60% than we can ever get with me trying to push and pull and drag you at 100%. And so that. that's what we did. I scrapped the whole plan, we rebuilt it, and it worked for us. I mean, we paid off $61,000 in 16 months. I love that so much. I love that, our plan. That is so powerful. I'm glad that you said that. That's a lot of how we were. I was so like talking to him about my plan. And when we finally sat down and we came up with our goals together and our dreams together, and we were like, okay, let's get excited together. Let's come up with our plan. Yes, I still actually do the budget and it is quote unquote my plan. Cause he's like, I don't care. But 
but the goals are ours now. And I think that is where it definitely changes. So I'm glad that you brought that up. So how has it changed since you guys have had your daughter and where did that kind of fall into y'all's timeline and what, what kind of changes did that make? Okay. So we pay off our debt in 2016. And at that point we build the emergency fund, start investing. I think it was like 15 to 20% of our income. Uh, then my wife gets pregnant and this is 2018 when our daughter's born. So we had been debt-free for two years. We had the full emergency fund. We're investing. We're well on our way. But part of our why in the beginning was giving Taylor the opportunity to be able to stay home if she wanted to do that. Yeah. And she didn't like when, you know, throughout the pregnancy, she realized like, yeah, I don't, I don't think I can stay home. But when I saw my daughter for the first time, like, first of all, I cried <laughs> and I just knew that I wanted to be way more present than I was able to um, because at the time I had a traveling sales job and it was really tough. And so I never wanted her to ask why I couldn't come to donuts with dad and me say it was because I had to be out of town for work. I, I just, I couldn't stomach it yeah. um, because I dealt with that growing up. And so that thought just really crushed me. And so that was when I started getting serious and really started digging into the fire movement. And so while my wife is in labor, I'm like reading fire blogs and listening to podcasts. And that's where I also came up with winning to wealth. And so, I mean, it just, it re that's really the impact that my daughter had on my life yeah. was I knew like, okay, if we can get even more serious, I could completely walk away from the workforce by age 40 instead of just having a comfortable retirement at 65. Yeah. And so that's what changed for us. I, I love how you're like, on the honeymoon, I did this. During labor, I did this. You really take those big moments in your life. That's awesome. And no, that is. You know what? I'm constantly, I think that's one of the things about me is I've never been scared to evolve. I've never been afraid to pivot into something better. I'm always open to better, whatever that yeah. is. And so I think those big moments, whether it be on our honeymoon or when my daughter's born, or even when we bought our house, I think for me, those have been just great times to reflect on, wow, this is how far I've come. Okay. This is the rest of the journey. Now, what can I do to either get there on time or get there fast? Like next level, let's go. <laughs> right. And so I'm always thinking, you know, in those big, I mean, it's not like a daily thing, but in those big, big moments, I'm always thinking like, it's always reflecting me because I grew up in poverty. Like, yeah. The fact that I own the house that I do and live where I do and, and do the things I do, it's just, it, it still blows my mind sometimes. Yeah. And so, you know, in those big moments, it's, it's really just kind of me reflecting on the journey to get to that point and then going, all right, kick it up a notch. And, you know, so that's kind of how that happens. I love that though. That's such a good story. So I want to talk a little bit more about, I know that COVID had you laid off and there was another time in your debt-free journey that you were laid off. So walk us through a little bit of that and how that fell in the timeline as well. Yeah. So both of those, I've been laid off twice and they both have been super different, like <laughs> night and day difference. Yeah. So the first time was completely unexpected. It happened while we were paying off our debt, like during our debt-free journey. We're at literally eight months in, which is also eight months into our marriage. And I get a call and basically the company I was working for decided to cut my position. And it felt like a huge punch to the gut because like the month prior, we were the top market unit in the world. And I was one of the top sales reps in, in that market unit. So I'm like, you know, I'm one of the top sales reps in the world for this global iconic company that everybody knows. Yeah. Um, and so it just, it did, it, it was just a blow, but we had cleared about half of our debt and we were crushing it. And I was told that I wouldn't have a job like a month 
later. And so from that point, we just stockpiled everything we could for that last month, just all of our checks, everything. I started working for a food delivery service in that last month. I started selling stuff around the house, just whatever I could do to make money. I just attacked it. And we didn't apply any of that towards the debt. We kept it in a savings account. And then when I got a job, we put it towards the debt and we were able to become debt free shortly after that. This time was different because last year, I had already told my wife that I wanted to leave my job this year and become a digital entrepreneur. Well, then last year I made six figures. And then at the end of the year, I landed a huge deal, which set me up to make even more this year. And so we get into February and I'm like, eh. <laughs> I think I'm going to wait another year. Yeah. I'm going to put that plan off and let's just milk this for as long as we can, you know? And so again, we're at that point where we're contributing to fire. We were investing about 60 to 65% of our income. Um, this year, we kind of cut that down a little bit to just kind of enjoy the journey. Well, our plan was to enjoy the journey <laughs> a little bit more, but, um, but yeah, so when this one happened, it kind of stung, um, but at the same time, we were way more prepared. And I was already, again, kind of preparing to pivot away from my career. So it was just like, all right, well, I guess we're doing this now. Yeah. And so it's, it's so different because like the first time it was such a panic, right? We were in the middle of our journey and it was frantic. And my wife has an autoimmune disease. And so stress is one of her triggers. And so she was sick and missed a month of work. And it was just this awful time. And this time, because of the work that we've done since that one time, our net worth has actually grown, even though we've been living off one income since April. Yeah. So it's just been nice night and day difference. It's crazy. I know I've been watching your whole story. I remember the day that you like announced that you had got laid off and kind of watching your story through the whole pandemic, through the whole deal. And I remember you saying like our net worth has actually grown. And I was just like, what in the world? Like how, you know, that's so awesome. And I'm sure that you guys are just so grateful that you started your journey when you did and, and did all of that work ahead of time. Yeah. You know, I think it just kind of speaks to the importance of of either A, diversifying your income with a side hustle or B, having a big pile of money somewhere because you can absolutely love your job today. Like in both of those instances, I was in the top five in sales the previous year. And I was one of the top sales reps going into being laid off. So you could love your job. You could be the top performer at your job. And both times things completely outside of my control that I had nothing to do with changed it. But there are also times where, you know, maybe you have a manager that you love and that manager moves on and they replace them with a new manager and you just hate going to work every day. So I think the importance of just being a good steward over your finances is, again, in those situations, you create options for yourself. Like I didn't feel the pressure that a lot of people have felt so far to put myself at risk or put my family at risk by trying to rush out and get some kind of job to earn income or anything like that. And look, I know that that's hella privileged. Like yeah. I know because I have people in my family who aren't in this position who are hurting, right? So I, I get the hurt and I don't want to sound insensitive, but this is just kind of our story and our truth in just speaking to the power of once, if you're in that situation, once you're able to get back on your feet, really focus on, again, getting that big pile of money or diversifying your income with a side hustle. It's, it's really, really important. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, we've seen a lot of these memes and stuff going around about how they just want to forget 2020 and people are like, no, don't forget the year that made you grow. Like we all have learned so much. It's been a hard, crazy year, but I think that if we take these lessons and actually learn from them, <laughs> we right. can grow. And so if you are someone who is struggling during this pandemic, you've been laid off 
once you get back on your feet, like use that as that fire to push you to never let this happen again. Like never be this much at risk and things like that. And just really use it as motivation the best that you can. I'm so glad you said that because I forgot to say it because that was 100% what kept us going throughout this journey so far. I mean, there's stuff, even when you get to the point of investing, like stuff comes up, you know, you want to travel more, you want to do more, but you have goals and you stick to it. So not only were we driven by our goals, but in the back of my mind was also the time that I got laid off the first time and what that felt like. And so, yeah, use it for sure. Yeah. I know that, I mean, we've never been in that position of getting laid off or anything like that, but definitely those times that we were struggling we use that as our motivation and we're like, no, we're never going back. We're never going back to those couple of times that we had our lights cut off. We're never going back to the bill collectors calling every single day, like never going back. And that's our fuel. And that's what's kept us going this whole entire time. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier about fire and the fire movement. And I'd love for you to kind of walk us through that a little bit and what your journey through all of that has been like and just that whole part of your story. Yeah. So when I discovered fire, we were already in a really good place. So it was very easy to pick up on the concepts of, you know, maxing out all your retirement accounts. Now, the hard part was, again, changing our lifestyle again right? To accommodate this new goal because we had gotten comfortable. Yep. I mean, like I said, we weren't at that point, there was no negative feelings. Like, like when you're on a debt-free journey, you can feel the weight, you feel the pressure and like that's pushing you to change. But to go from debt freedom and like, oh, we'll be comfortable at 65 to, hey, well, what if we saved a million dollars in 10 years? Like, yeah. that's a crazy lifestyle change. That's a crazy goal. <laughs> and so- yes. You know, again, we had to reevaluate our spending again. We had to take a close look at our budget and say, okay, if we really want to do this, what are we willing to push pause on or do less of to accommodate this goal? And when we looked at it, there wasn't a lot that we were just like, all right, we can cut this out. We can cut that out. We can do this. Or, you know, so the role that I took was, all right, well, then I'm just going to go crazy at work and just increase my income, max my income out. And that was the route we took for that. And so from the time my daughter was born up until the time I was laid off, I doubled my income um, just because I really took my works even more seriously than I had. Uh, And then I built a name for myself within my industry. And that led to one of the leaders in our industry actually searching me out and recruiting me for a position that they had open. And the base salary doubled. And then I maxed out my commission structure as well. And so what that allowed us to do was that extra, we didn't you know, fall into the lifestyle creep. We just took a lot of that extra and just invested it uh, and continue to live the way we were living before. It's amazing. So how have you guys kind of fell into a balance now? Because you're talking earlier about the balance when you guys first started. So what does your balance kind of look like now? Are you guys still having some fun? Is your wife like happy with the, with the amount of fun money and all of that? Okay. So this year, Coming into this year, I felt like we really hit our stride. Like we sat down in December and we analyzed every area of our life. We were like, okay, what do we need to do to take our marriage to the next level? What do we need to do to take our money to the next level? And we set goals for like all of these different areas, our health, our careers, and just all the things we wanted to accomplish this year. Um, One of the things we committed to is we wanted to have a weekly date night. And that's hard when you have a two-year-old and your closest (laughs) family members like, 
35, 40 minutes away. Like, it was really hard, but we were like, you know what? Our, our marriage is worth it. So if we got to sit down and interview babysitters for two, three weeks to make it happen, then that's what we're going to do. And so that's what we did. And then we had planned to travel more. We had several trips lined up. And so we just had all these great things that we wanted to do. But now with our income just being a teacher income, to go from a really good six-figure salary to just completely eliminate that overnight and live on a teacher salary was a big adjustment. But we have navigated our journey. We've always made decisions that would allow us to live on my wife's teacher income. So when we bought our house, we got approved for like 400000 and we bought less than half of that. Because again, we don't know what the future holds in terms of careers and things like that. And so that was those kinds of decisions really helped us weather this storm today. Now, my wife's really struggling because she's the spender in the relationship. <laughs> and so right now, I mean, our budget is just bare bones. I mean, we invest what we can. Um, but, you know, we make enough to cover our expenses and we have some extra. But yeah, it's while I'm building up these businesses that I'm working on, it's just like, hey, we got to go back to the to the beginning days to early in our marriage days and we were paying off debt. But, you know, it's it's just a season. I mean, we're both we both are aware that, you know, this is just temporary until I'm able to build up some of the business ideas that I'm working on. Yeah. So do you think, you know, since being laid off, how has that really affected your timeline as far as when you think you're going to be able to retire now? So here's the thing. The goal was for me to or the why behind the goal was so that I could spend as much time with my family, I didn't have to travel. Once I got laid off, I realized, dude, you don't need to have a million dollars in the bank to spend more time with your family. You've set your life up to where you live on your wife's income. Yeah. You don't even have to necessarily go back to work. You could literally just be a digital entrepreneur right now. You could build businesses right now, things that you're excited about, things that you want to do. So all that to say, we don't have a plan anymore of reaching fire in the traditional sense. The goal now is to build passive income from my ideas um, to where if my wife wants to step away from work or if she's forced to, because again, she's high risk and she's a teacher. So if okay. they bring more kids in her classroom or anything like that, she can take a step back and again, let my business income take over. Yeah. I love that you're speaking to the entrepreneur spirit because that's how I've always been. I'm like, I don't really want to retire. I want to be able to live on my entrepreneur income. Uh, but my husband, on the other hand, you know, he works offshore. And so he wants to retire. He wants to retire in the traditional sense, come home, play golf, hang out, you know, do all the things. And I'm just like, no, I'm going to keep working. So now our goal is to get our investments to enough where we can live on just my income as entrepreneur. And, you know, hopefully that will be quite a bit bigger in 10 or 20 years from now. We'll be able to do that. So yeah, I love that you like spoke to that, that it doesn't have to be traditional. You don't have to have a million dollars to quote unquote retire and spend more time with your family. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted you to kind of walk us through, I haven't really had a lot of people on the podcast that have talked about investing very much. And I know you talk about it quite a bit. So just a little bit of insight, maybe just a little 
investing 101 of some investing options, explain a few of them and some things like that for us. So here's what I can do. I can walk you through our investing strategy um, back when I was making an income and we were investing my income. So the first thing we made sure that we did was I had a 401k and we made sure we contributed up to the match because again, that's free money, right? My wife had a 403B. Um, and so we put a little bit in there. Well, basically we matched her 403B with what I was contributing in my 401k. So from that point, once we contributed up to the match there, we went to our Roth IRAs and maxed out our Roth IRAs. And so once those were maxed out, then we came back to the 401k and the 403b and max those out. And so once those are maxed out, if there's anything left, then we contributed or we opened and contributed to a taxable brokerage. And so inside of the 401k, 403b, IRA, they hold index funds and index funds hold individual stocks. And so the I would choose about three to five different index funds for each of these accounts. So I made sure that I had at least one total US stock market index fund, an international fund and a bond fund um, for just maximum diversification so that my risk is lower. And we would just invest consistently every month. Like it was literally on autopilot. The 401k, 403b came out of our paychecks. The Roth IRA was automatically deducted every payday. And so that's where I, when I made the joke earlier that it's boring, like it's literally boring because you don't do anything. Like once you set it up right, you just, you don't do anything. Uh, we reinvest the dividends automatically. So I don't have to do that. My portfolio rebalances itself automatically. So I literally, I don't see the money. I don't do anything with it. It is the most boring way to invest, but it can also be the most effective way for the average investor. And so that's really just kind of what we've done. Yeah. That's something that we are kind of personally about to get into after we kind of have our construction loan going and, and that phase is over is upping our investments. Cause right now all we're doing is the 401k up to the employer match and which, I mean, that's still getting us pretty mm -hmm. far, but we're kind of excited to like go into the next phase and kind of level up that investing. And so I'm glad you kind of walked us through some of that. And I know that's a question I get a lot and I'm like, look guys, I haven't, I'm not there yet. So I can't really walk you through all of that yet. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. And I also want to say one of the things, because I'm thinking about this right now, because I'm literally building businesses right now. One option that we have today is a solo 401k that a lot of people don't know about. A lot of business owners, entrepreneurs don't really know about. And so what that allows me to do, that allows me to invest money pre-tax, just like a 401k, just like a 403b. Um, but the difference is I can actually contribute to that as an employee and as an employer. So oh. yes. Yeah. So basically I get the 19,500 just like an employee would, but I can also add an additional contribution of up to 25% of my pay up to a maximum of like, I think 57,000 or maybe 57,500 each year. So basically kind of breaking it down, like let's say I hit a hundred K from my business just to kind of keep simple numbers. I can do the 19.5 and then the 25% of that. So we're looking at about 44,500 a year instead of just the 19.5 that I was able to contribute to a 401k as an employee. That's epic. I've never heard of that. How have yeah. I never heard of that? Yeah, solo 401k. Oh my gosh. Okay, I'm looking into that for sure cuz that's <laughs> legit. And that's something that like a lot of people, entrepreneurs and especially working moms who want to become stay-at-home moms, they're just like, what do I do? I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to do these things. But but like, what about healthcare? What about retirement? What, if, you know, that is such a huge concern. You want to, you want to talk about healthcare real quick? Because I had to go through that. Sure. Yeah. 
<laughs> so that was one of the things about the layoff that was really soul crushing to me because again, my wife has lupus and I got laid off on May 15th. And so for those of you who don't know, when you get laid off like that and you go on like, you know, public insurance on the exchange or anything like that, you have to enroll by the last day of the month to have insurance for the next month. So essentially I had 15 days oh to decide insurance and my wife sees a specialist. She has like nine different medications. And so I had to literally like dig through and research all of this stuff. And we actually found a great, great plan. It's ridiculously expensive. It's like eight something a month, uh, but it's better than the 1700 we would have paid for her healthcare as a teacher. So we went with that, but yeah, I mean, there, there are options out there. I mean, you have uh, Medicaid is an option. If your income's low enough, you have the exchange that I just mentioned, you have these healthcare sharing programs, like uh, Christian health share ministries or mm -hmm. something like that. You do, you have a plethora of options. Trust me. Like I said, I just went through this. I've, <laughs> I dug into, I mean, I literally turned over every stone in two weeks to find the best plan for my family. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. So another thing that we wanted to kind of talk about, and I was really excited to have your voice and your opinion is I wanted to kind of touch on the financial literacy and why financial literacy is so important for black and Latino Americans and people of color and I talked about this recently on an episode. I had Jasmine Tillery on a couple of weeks ago and oh my gosh, like her conversation was epic. Just her stance on all of this. Great episode. Oh my gosh. I heard that one. Great episode. And she was on my podcast. She's a great, great guest. She is. She's phenomenal. I told her a couple of weeks ago that I am the head of her fan club now. <laughs> I just think she is the coolest person. <laughs> she just put all of it like right <laughs> in its place and it was awesome. So I just kind of wanted to hear your take on all of this and why you believe that financial literacy is so important and how this is actually considered a form of social activism. And just tell us more about that. So I recorded a solo episode about this and the solo episode came about after the week George Floyd was murdered. I, I just thought about it. And what I remember about that time was this is all back in May. So if you remember, like this felt like a tsunami for me personally. We had Breonna Taylor's news come out. We had Ahmaud Arbery's news come out. And then George Floyd closes the month. Like this is back to back to back. And then in the middle of that, I was laid off. I'm navigating the health and just, I'm doing all this too. And this was the first time dealing with these types of injustices, especially on this level, that I didn't have to go to work the next day, right? Yeah. And so usually what would happen is you'd see these things just incredibly sad, and especially as a black or brown person, because you see your relatives, you see your cousins, you see your family members in these faces. And so then when you, when you go to work, you have to put on their best face and be professional. Well, what happened was I got to grieve, I got to feel, I got to do all these things um, but not just that, I got to donate money to these families, not just to cover the funeral expenses, but to help cover their legal expenses as they fight for justice. I got to donate money to organizations that were bailing out peaceful protesters so their voices could continue to be heard. And if we weren't in the middle of a pandemic, I probably would have been out protesting as well. Yeah. But in addition to that, like I got to use my time to write and call senators demanding change. I got to talk to young politicians and share my thoughts on things they could do to you know, improve the police and community relations, um, even sat down with a group of black men, including some cops in my hometown. And we talked about things that they could do to reform policing there. And I just remember like, this is June. So I just remember like doing all that and feeling incredibly hopeful mm -hmm. at a time when everything was dark. 
right? And it wasn't because I believed in this broken system's ability to change on its own. But for the first time, because I wasn't having to trade 40 hours a week for a paycheck, I was recognizing the power that I had to make a difference and invoke change. And let me be clear about something before I even go into that. Like, let me just say wealth doesn't solve racism, right? We've seen black professional athletes be, be victims of police brutality and racism. And I'll be honest, like I felt safer growing up in the hood than I do sometimes in my own suburban neighborhood. So make no mistake about it. Like black people getting this money is not going to solve this problem at all. But as more of us who actually see what's going on, have money, we can start to use that money to buy back our time and then use that time to create the change that we want to see for our community. And so that to me living, like actually living that at that time, like having all that happen at the same time was like this big, massive eye opener for me of like, this is actually going to be a blessing in disguise because look at what you can do now. You know, I don't, I don't have to go sell cement 40 hours a week. I can do whatever I want with my time. And that's powerful. Yeah. And that's a lot of, you know, they say that, that the wealth, it brings you the freedom and that's what they say, financial freedom. And it's where you get to choose, you get all the choices of what to do with your time, what to do with the money that's left over all these things. And that's a awesome, awesome example of that right there, like exemplified in a huge way. And it's not just like, it's using your time for something so powerful and so important, not just, you know, posting up on the beach somewhere, like actually doing something important with your time. That's awesome. I love it so much. And I think that's the biggest misconception of fire. People think like, oh, you just want to retire because you're this lazy bum. Yeah. And, (laughs) you know, but like, that's not it. Like I have things that are way more important to me than earn a paycheck, you know? And so, and I want to pursue those things. And so I think that is really the key part that gets left out of the conversation when people talk about fire. Yeah. And just think, I think about like, if this same situation was to happen, but you were way back in the day where you were like financially in survival mode, what that, how much of a difference that would have made. You wouldn't have had the time, you wouldn't have had the money, all these things that you were able to do to make a difference. None of that would have happened. Right. And I love how you're like, it's a form of social activism. Like it's not, and it just makes it so much bigger and so much more. It's not just about you. It's not just about your family. It's about everything and right. all of the trickle down and all of the, the good that you can do in the world. And it's huge. And I mean, there is selfish ambition there too, because I mean, yeah. let's be clear. I mean, I'm a black male. This stuff directly, I mean, it does affect my family. And so, yes, it's, it is for the greater good, but there's also selfish ambition there because this, this impacts me, you know, on a, on a very, very deep level. I mean, I've had instances where I'll say this, but the first time I ever had a gun pulled on me by a law enforcement officer was because I reached too fast for my wallet. The second time was because I reached too slow for my wallet because I was scared from the first time. So what do you do? Yeah. You know? And so now the position that I'm in, again, allows me to work with these people and try to affect change in the best way that I can. I love that. That's so powerful. So you're talking about change. And how have you personally seen the conversation changing? Like, are you seeing, are you seeing it changing in the personal finance community, the debt-free community, especially following George Floyd's murder and and all of that? How real you want me to be? (laughs) 
I want you I want you to be honest. Be honest. Okay, so it's funny because there's this running joke in my house that when somebody in the debt-free community or somebody on Instagram that I follow does something racist, my follower account goes up. Yeah. Because people start shouting out black people to follow. <laughs> and like, you know what I mean? It's like, let me make up for my sin. Let me just say, oh, go follow these black people. And that's something that's never happened before. And so it's weird. Like, I don't want to yeah. name names, but there was a person who made an uninformed statement a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And I guess this is going to give it away. But like, I got hundreds of folks on my website downloading my coloring charts yeah. <laughs> in the few days that followed that because people were sharing them. Now, these have been on my site for two years. <laughs> yeah. So that's positive. I mean, that's good to see, but like it, it should also at the same time, like it shouldn't take somebody doing something like that or saying things that they've said mm -hmm. to make you share or recognize black creators. Yeah. And so I mean, I think people are waking up to the fact that there's a problem and like, that's cool. And I'm happy to see that. But at the same time, I'm also less interested in the conversation part these days. And I'm more interested in the action. For me, I think black and brown people, we've been saying this problem has existed for decades. It has like, existed. For decades. Right. So like us, black and brown, we're past talking, right? Yeah. We're, we're actively working to pass legislation at this point and actually change things. So if you're just now getting to the point of trying to talk or make a post or something like that, you're behind the eight ball mm -hmm. because the time for talking with us was in the nineties with Rodney King mm -hmm. or the, or at the very latest with Trayvon in what, 2011, 2012, whenever that was. So for me, it's like, what are you doing? Okay, cool. You read a book. Great. What'd you do with what you learned? Have you educated anybody else or is that too much to ask? Okay, cool. You made a donation to an organization, but like, how are you voting? Because that matters. And to be honest, I mean, let's just put it, that choice is clear too right now. Yeah. If we're talking specifically about race, yeah. you know? Um, and so like, I remember having conversations with my friends about like what we would have done during the civil rights area and, and looking at the current times, whatever you're doing today, you're proving what you would have done during that time. Exactly. Exactly. No, I did... I majored in history in college. I read a lot of things about post-World War II, civil rights, all the things. And it's really easy to be in a history class and say, well, if I was there, I would have done this. But like, you're here now and things are happening now. So like, what are you doing now? So let's think about it. We all know, everybody will agree that there are racist people yeah. in America. These people don't just sit at home all day. They work with us. They're our managers. They own the companies we work for. They approve the loans that we apply for. Like they're in our society. And so, but when you have like a sitting president go on a national stage and say racial sensitivity training is racist, what that does is give a racist manager at a company the green light to treat me how he wants to without fear of consequence, right? That affects our money in terms of pay that affects opportunities for promotion that even if, if I'm even presented with it, right? And so much more. And again, that's just work. That's not getting into real estate. That's not getting to all these other things that affect our net worth. And so in the personal finance space, we have to be like, we, we have to be hyper aware of these things and how they impact people's ability to build wealth. If you're right. going to take that position of teaching people how to build wealth. You can't say, I'm going to show you the steps to build wealth, but I don't know all the barriers that you have to overcome to do that. 
that makes you a poor teacher. And so then at the very least, you have to be able to call that stuff out. Like it's the least you have to do. As you teach, you have to call this stuff out. So again, to go back to your question, like I think the blackout squares and all that, like that was cute and all, but if you can't call this stuff out, then you still got things to learn and you still got work to do because you just don't get it yet. I mean, like your follower count can't be more important than the movement. And if it is, like, if you hesitate to speak up because you might lose followers, then you got to check yourself or stop pretending, man. Like that, that's just, that's just what it is. I mean, being an influencer, it's a real privilege that generations before us didn't have. So even if you were in the civil rights era and you wanted to speak up, who would you talk to? I mean, these people have 80, 90, 100,000 followers, and it would be a shame to live at a time like this, to talk about money and not talk about the things in our society that affect certain people's ability to build wealth. I mean, it'd just be a a sad waste of time. Yeah. And I just think like you can't, people keep saying like, well, you know, don't just stick to personal finance. Don't talk about politics. We don't want to hear about politics. I could sit here and list you 10 or 20 reasons why politics and personal finance are directly intertwined. We just talked about unemployment, healthcare, investments. I mean, all these things that are directly tied together. You you can't separate the two. You just can't do it. Yeah. And so for the people who struggle with that, I mean, I'll give you two books that you can grab and read to really understand just the intersection of, you can call it politics, but these are human rights, human rights yeah. and money. The first one is The Black Tax by Sean Rochester. And the second one is The Color of Law by Richard Rothstein. These two books will really show you how the systems that were built during times of gross inequality are still alive today and still um, help to widen the racial wealth gap that we see at play today. I'll link to those books for anyone listening who wants to check them out. Thank you for sharing that. So do you have any advice for anyone who, like myself, a white person who is an ally to the movement, wants to do better? What should we actually do? Because you're like, you know, that's enough talking, like we need some action. So what are some actions that we could do? Well, I mean, I think the first thing is to get educated. Like I said, you can start with the books that we just talked about. And again, because actually learning the history, I think we've, a lot of us have been taught this whitewashed version of history. Yep. And what, what happens with that is you aren't able to see the system. So I don't blame, I don't really blame the people who can't see it because they, they've never been forced to. Right. Um, And so that's the first thing is becoming aware um, even on a deeper level, even if you're already an ally, still continuing to learn and continuing to evolve. Um, and I think the most important things for allies is to have those tough conversations with the people you know. You know what I mean? Just because you're an ally doesn't mean you have to be the face of the movement, doesn't mean you have to center the movement around yourself. You can be effective by just having conversations with people you know, people you respect. Like I know my wife um, has had very intense conversations. My wife is white. She's had very intense conversations with her family members. Um, And some of them see things different because just being married to me, she's seen the different, you know, the varying degrees of treatment that she got from when she was growing up to now. And so she's able to speak to that differently. And so having those conversations and being educated, I think are just the two biggest things that you can do early on. Thank you for sharing that. So just to kind of wrap up, um, if you could go back to a former version of yourself and give him some advice, what would you tell him? 
Oh man, I would go back to my 18 year old <laughs> self when I worked in a warehouse and I made like $19 an hour and I lived with my parents and I didn't have any bills. And I would tell myself to invest at least half my paychecks, um, at least, because that was around the time of the Great Recession. So everything was super cheap then. Like, I remember I was working at Walmart and the stock that I had was like $40 a share. Well, it's triple that now. (laughs) So (laughs) that's the one thing that I, if I could go back, like, I would tell my younger self, hey, man, you don't have any bills. You know, you don't, you have very little responsibility right now use this time to get ahead. Um, and so yeah, that's where it was. That's awesome. From. Yeah. I wish I could go back and tell myself that too. <laughs> tell my husband that too. Both of us like, man, you had all these years with no kids. What were you doing? <laughs> like, what were you doing? We were just exactly. Go, Thanks a lot. Former version of us. <laughs> yeah. I don't, like it's crazy. Cause like I said, I didn't have any bills, any responsibility. I was yeah. 18 years old. I'm making almost $20 an hour and I'm still overdrafting my account. Like yep. how bro? That was both <laughs> of us too. What were you buying? I don't understand. <laughs> overdraft a subway sandwich i will never forget that a freaking 40 dollars sandwich like <laughs> what oh my gosh that's crazy yep yeah so i i appreciate you sharing everything that you shared and being so transparent with us about your story and everything um and i'm going to link to everything that you have mentioned all of your resources and all of that and Um, I just appreciate you coming on and taking the time to share with us. Sammy, I appreciate you having me. This has been a lot of fun. Hopefully I did your show justice in the same way that you did mine. Thank you. Yeah. I'm going to link to my episode as well because I was proud of it and I want everybody to jump over and listen to it if they haven't yet. So, all right. I will talk to you guys next week. Bye guys. Thanks for hanging out for another episode of a Sunny Side Up Life podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend because you never know who needs to hear this message. If you haven't already, please leave a review and subscribe. Reviews and subscribers are what help the podcast grow and what help new ladies find our community. And again, thanks for hitting play on this episode and for investing some time in yourself today. Remember that I'm always here to support you and I'm always cheering you on along the way. Don't forget that everything that we mentioned in this episode will be linked in the show notes. All right, that's all for me this week. Bye, guys.